What'd you think of Nashville? What's your visit's been like? Give us a, a Cliff Notes version of like what the last 20 years has been like, because you got a pretty inspiring story. Was that traumatic to you? Not unknowingly later in life? You know, you went through a lot of therapy last year too. Yeah. Did you do any EMDR? This is the Hope Dealer Podcast. This is where we give people a platform to come and tell their stories. And uh, I'm excited because today I got a really, really good friend. He's been a friend, a mentor, a coach in my life. Came over here from California. And uh, so today we are really, really excited to hear a little bit of his journey journey and his story and we hope it inspires you and this is Mr. JJ Mazzo. What's up buddy? Thanks for having me. I'm glad Appreciate you're here. You. I'm glad you drove all the way to Tennessee just for this. <laughs> yeah, that's good man. That's a heck of a drive. Came here for the weather. Right? Yeah. So you were in Nashville. You got to go to Rory Vane's Brand Builders. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty awesome man. What a great guy. We spent a couple days with him so he was in there and, and hung out and just what a what a genius business person man. That guy is something special. I mean yeah. I knew he was something special but he really did share some cool stuff. I love his journey. I don't know if he got into it but like his story where he started. He started at Southwestern um, and then grew that company. Then they started Southwestern Consulting and then him and Amanda's wife broke off and started Brand Builders yep. and some other stuff. Yeah. But I remember the first time I met him, I got on an airplane. It was like one of the only times I got to fly like Delta or something because, you know, I've been poor most of my life. So. Yeah. But I got a Delta ticket and I sat down next to this guy and he, he was dressed fancy and he had on a uh, cufflink or his shirt had on his cufflink had his initials. And I looked and I was like, oh, well, that's pretty cool. So then I asked him what his name was. He goes, well, my name's Rory. So that was the first time I met him. I sat next to him on a, and I was like, where were you going? He's like, I live in Franklin. I was like, well, I live near Franklin. No kidding. Um, but I didn't know how much of a big deal he was. I think it was a little, little while later. It was like Oprah was talking about his book, you know, Take the Stairs. Yep. And I was like, holy crap, I sat next to that guy on the airplane. Yeah. yeah. But he he charged a lot of money for that. You got you got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got an hour of consulting with yes, that. That's right? it, buddy. That's it. What did you think of Nashville? What's your visit's been like? Man, I love, fun? I love Nashville anytime I can come out here. I mean, uh, for the most part, we were just sitting, you know, getting work done inside, especially with the snow, right? Most snow you guys have seen in, I don't know, yeah. forever. A couple of years uh, at least. So it was cold today. It's like five degrees. But I love it here, man. I love the pace. I love the people. You know, it's way different than, than California and that's the whole point so uh, you're in socal yes uh, orange county area so in between san diego and los angeles okay and you're near the water yeah near right? the water beautiful and you still got your boat nope nope got rid of the, the paperweight the you okay. know paperweight for sure man boat's one of those things the two best days the day you buy it and the day you sell, sell it, it. Yeah, if you yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? Like, oh yeah, if you don't use it, you know enough, it just doesn't make sense. It's a great idea, and they're super fun to enjoy, but it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You'd be in purgatory if you had a, a boat and a motorhome. Oh, so yeah. I, I have a big paperweight. It's that's it right there. You're yeah. sitting down at the back of the farm. Yes, yeah, so just stressing me out. No, no, my wife and kids won't get in it anymore because we lived in it for six months. <laughs> the traumatizing experience. Yeah, they're like, we're, I'm, we're never getting in that again. So you might as well go ahead and sell. I was like, no, we're gonna do a podcast on it yeah right? oh that's good that's an expensive we, podcast we recorded video. a bunch of episodes in there yeah. it's just you know probably holistically trying to get down to where it is getting it kicked on started up i mean there's just a lot of logistics yeah. but it's sick i mean if we could just park it here it'd be easy to park keep. it out in the parking lot oh yeah yeah you can do tow it away yeah so <laughs> so cal you lived in north carolina for a little while how long were you in north carolina man we were in north carolina just about a year and a half year something like that yeah it was it was a great experience i loved living there i loved the people i loved the pace and but just had some some struggles with the daughters adapting during covid and, and being okay. there so came back to to california my oldest daughter was really really having some struggles out there mental health stuff which is pretty yeah. pretty normal you know especially yeah. on my side of the family and pretty normal during covid 
graduated, and then she came back, graduated, and now she goes to University of Alabama, which ah. is which is ironic, right? So, and it, she'll she'll probably never go back to Cali again. So it did leave a good impression on her for sure. Y'all ran Nick Saban off, you know. You come join Alabama, and then he quits. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know, man. I, yeah, that, that was a big deal at the school. It was like I was telling people, it was like someone passed away, like by a statue. Their statue, they're putting flowers. I mean, it, it was it was a big deal when he left. So I'm sure they'll figure out a way to get back to winning without him. I hope Bill Belichick goes down there. Yeah, that'd be that, interesting. That'd be cool. Oh wow, I never thought about that. Never yeah. Yeah. He owns a uh, he owns the Music City Mercedes dealership here at Sabin does. Oh no kidding. Yeah. And then he's part owner, I think, in the Ferrari dealership that we just got. Well, it sounds he's like cars. he's into cars, right? That's yeah. his next his next uh next winning passion. And then old DW is over down the road here. Yeah. Daryl Waltrip, GMC. Oh yeah. NASCAR. Okay. Yeah, then then down in Denver they have Elway. Elway has all his dealerships. Oh yeah, lots Tons of Elway out yeah. there. There's yeah. a reason these dudes get into cars. Yeah. In dealerships, yeah. right? Let's talk a little bit about like your journey. That's a good segue. Like, you know, I, I know some of it from when you started, you know, call center days, got into originating calling on realtors and builders and clients. But like, you know, give us a, a Cliff Notes, you know, version of like what the last 20 years has been like, because you got a pretty inspiring story, you know. Yeah, but I mean, man, I'd say it started before that. I mean, I got into the mortgage business in the mid-90s, just out of high school. I just didn't have a choice. So for me, it was out of high school. I was DJing raves and doing the club scene, which wasn't what it is today, but it was getting, it was starting to heat up. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty cool. I mean, growing up with my parents and stuff, we, we moved around a lot, probably 15 different times, massive Whoa. amount of schools. We lived in different hotels throughout my life. I always joked that when my dad paid the rent, it was the first and the last month's rent you were ever going to going to receive from his ass like that was just wow. how it worked and he was a bit of a hustler and kind of grew up different and and got grounded a bit when when I came along but but still had a, just a lot of instability so for me wanting to get into the mortgage business had to do with wanting st- some stability I wanted to be a realtor first and realized they worked weekends and I was like oh, I'm over that little did I know it was seven days a week for mortgage for yeah. the rest for Lord knows how many years right so no we, we moved around a lot and then I was out of the house at about 17 and I just figured man I need to create create stability. I need to figure out a way to like, I want to get into this mortgage and real estate thing so I can help others with stability because I figured if I could solve the problem for myself and then help other people solve the problem, it it, it was truly purpose driven. Mm. Uh, it wasn't money driven because at the time it, it did not pay really great. Right. It paid the bills though. I mean, it helped. So I just, I figured out how to get into a house and had some mentors teach me the mortgage business at a loan officer assistant level and, and got into a house fairly young and then was in the call center side of things. So it was very much call center, consumer direct, no realtors whatsoever. I had a really deep voice. I was able to, at a young age, still be able to get over the mm. phone and sound like I knew uh, what I was doing. I don't even think I knew how to come up with an interest rate <laughs> for four years. <laughs> I would just hand it to some guy and I'd be like, he'd be like, two points, 8.99. Okay, boss. And then I would go sell that. A spec um, sheet. Yeah. yeah. That, that was, and it was the four squares like yeah. the car dealerships mm. were talking Those about. Four options. Yeah, that was it. And and if I asked to, to discount it, I'd get yelled at, thrown it back in my face. So you learned, you know, I learned it from old school guys growing up. And a lot of those guys were car guys, military guys. So it was a very unique place to grow up as a kid in the business and became some somewhat successful as I thought I was, right? As most people do at that young age in that business until uh, the crash happened 0809 and it became very apparent very quickly when everything dried up pretty quick you know within a 12 month period of time i had just met my wife and it was probably one of the one of the not the worst but one of the darkest periods ever i mean at this point 
you know, I thought I was figuring things out and, you know, we ended up losing, losing a home, losing our cars, a baby on the way, a two-year-old, a new marriage that was on the rocks, you know, me dealing with, not dealing with massive trauma that I had had as a kid, taking it out with anger, feeling shame and talk about shame and inadequacy <laughs> as a husband and a father. I mean, it was maxed out and never really had great examples of that at all. My father wasn't a great example of either one of those things. I mean, it wasn't the worst, but wasn't the greatest either. Right, right. And so uh, going through all of that, filing bankruptcy and losing everything. I mean, I think uh, I had a bike is what it was. So I had a bike and I would ride the bike to my cubicle that I was renting to still call these leads. And then someone stole the damn bike. And I was oh. so pissed off, man. I love that damn bike. It wasn't anything special, right? So at this point, you're like, God's really trying to make a point. Right. And he did. And one of my really good friends, uh, Jessica Uphoff, she had, she had come and she's like, man, we got to try something different. I went to this seminar and, and, and listened to these CDs and, and you really should try this. We should start doing purchase loans. I was like, purchase loans? She's like, yeah, you know, you get with real estate agents. I was like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. You know, like, how am I going to talk to the people who actually want to borrow money? And so that was kind of the transition at that period, the transition into trying to go to my, my first uh, coaching event. And then making it to that coaching event, it was 500 bucks. I was in Dallas and man, that was just opened my eyes and got to see people that, that are now good friends of mine, Shayla Gifford and some of these people that I was like, oh my gosh, this can be done. Yeah. And, but I couldn't afford it and I didn't make enough money to get in any of the programs either. So I just listened to the CDs and just stole as much as I could, yeah. applied it to my business wow. uh, until it is I was able to save up enough money and start, you know, working things in that business. Wow. So it you was, become pretty darn resourceful when you grow up poor. Mm -hmm. you know you never ever ever lose that resourcefulness yeah right yeah 100%. i gotta say jessica uploff is the one who did our loan in denver no, no kidding way. yeah how crazy jessica, is that big shout yeah. out to jessica she's yeah. amazing oh yeah man she, she is amazing she is. She's, she's a bulldog yeah. oh dude she is no she joke. just made everything happen you, you know you've talked about that right in yeah. the industry we're like you just got to be the person who can not only you got to get the ball you got to carry it all the way over the line yep. you know? absolutely and there's a lot of respect in the hustle of that and and what's required and I would always think of Jessica. I'm like, yeah, that's so crazy. Yeah, she lived in Orange County and yeah. then moved to Denver after that. Yeah. And started her business out there in Denver. Uh, God's always yeah. up to something. She's the bomb. She's so You know, so yeah. we'll have to send her a little clip of that. Yeah. Hey, you talked about moving a lot. Like, so, like, I moved a lot. Not as much as you did, but. Was that traumatic to you, like, not unknowingly, like, later in life? like? Oh, super unknowingly, you know? And I think the unknowingly part was just going to all these different schools and having to meet new friends and mm. then never fitting into a group of That's people. That's traumatic. And then being bullied. And then I was sent to boarding school across the country because I was such a model yeah. kid. And so it was, and that was in my, my early teens. So, you know, that doesn't help. There was a lot of rejection and abandonment things mm -hmm. that happen throughout that, you know, you just, you, you don't realize you don't know it and, until you like, until you're much, much older, honestly. Yeah. yeah. That was hard. When you're thrown in that environment, it feels sometimes like, you know, somebody gave you a puzzle piece and like, they're like a big pile of puzzle pieces and you're just trying to figure out a way to like plug it in somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then right when you feel like you got the puzzle piece, like getting plugged in, then it's like, oh, we're moving again. It's yeah. like, damn. So... It's hard to catch momentum, and that makes you feel like you're not good enough because you never get to the point that you have, like, deep 
friendships, genuine friendships. And right. when you do, then it's torn away from you. Yeah. It, it, you know, there was, there was a time where we lived at the same place, I want to say for three years, three and a half years. And that's, that's where I formed some relationships that are still with me today. Oh, Even though cool. I shortly moved after that, we were at that place and we moved to another place and then we were in a hotel. And, and I remember Thanksgiving, Thanksgivings are always kind of weird. Cause I remember I was 16. We were living in this, this comfort suites and it was me and my two brothers. So there are five of us living in this room. And you don't really realize that you, you don't realize the situation. It just is what it is. You know, like right. I, I think a lot of people say they're poor. They don't even realize that they, they are poor or have less than. I mean, there are a lot of people. I say poor even almost like using that because it's like, man, people will show you poor if you think you're poor. Right, right. But, man, we're doing the microwave turkey. And I just had so much frustration and anger at that time. Yeah. I remember getting in a big fight with my mom and, and, and just walking out and walking, you know, on Thanksgiving day. And it's like, man, you just, wow. the blessings looking back, right. It just goes to the anger and the frustrations and not dealing with things. And you look back now and it's like every single one of those people in that hotel room are all past except yeah. for me. And you're like, man, what would wow. you not give to have a Thanksgiving turkey with those people, regardless of where it was, right? Wow. And so, like, Holy those, shit. yeah, talk about, yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been peeling things back with therapy the past few yeah, years, buddy. So good. it's like, you know, and, and and a lot of those things happened shortly. I mean, when we were talking about when I lost everything, you know, with the family and just starting that family, it was like, you know, we lost my wife's mom, uh, we lost my mom, we lost my one brother, all within that, that year period of time. And so this is where loss, and you feel abandonment, even though when people die, you're like, oh man, they abandoned me. It's But there's a lot of that that goes in there. So, it, you know, lots yeah. of baggage, you know. That's why I, I loved what you had posted, because I think talking about mental illness, where it comes from, overcoming that, man, it's one of the biggest things that people deal with that they're afraid to talk about that everyone is going through in one way, shape, or form, and mm -hmm. dealing with it, not dealing with it. Everyone's on their own path and their own journey, but I think it's just so important so that there's less of a stigma so that people can work through it. That's right. And it don't matter when. It can be 15, 25, 35, 105, but, you know, uh, for me, God's been a part of that. My faith's a big part of that. My family's a big part of that. Things worth fighting for, understanding you're not alone is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. and, and I think all of those things are, you know, I used to think it was the chip on my shoulder. Like that chip is right. what drives you. Mm -hmm. That chip is not, it shouldn't be what drives you, right? right? I mean, that chip is, it's things that you haven't dealt with is the chip. Right. So like it, what true success is not having to have the chip and still being able to persevere and drive forward and be successful without that chip. It's just understanding that was a part you've worked through. That's right. You know, it's interesting that you say that about the chip because it's almost like going into battle and the war, like the chip's great then. Yeah. But then you come home yeah. and you're done with war. It's PTSD. And like, yeah. And you're like, the chip doesn't, this doesn't serve me anymore. And I'm glad you kind of opened that up because I'd love like our discussion to revolve around that because I'm so passionate about people being okay with saying, hey, I think I want to get some help. I yeah. think I want to understand this. Yeah. I had reached a wall last year where I was, you know, balancing and juggling all the balls perfectly. A lot of people didn't know, you know, certain issues I had in my life or, you know, the trauma was buried just where I didn't have to worry about it. And I remember a point where I was like, this is going to explode. Like this is not, and there was a few moments I was like, lost my anger, road rage, or, you know, whatever I was, at, you know, lost a real friendship over an argument or something. And I was like, this is eventually going to end up imploding everything in my life. 
And I was like, I don't know if you ever relate, if you relate, and I want to know your thoughts on this, but like, I think I just reached a point that I was like, there's got to be a better way. Yes. Like I got, there's got to be an ability for me to, to understand because I also, through my faith, I would just try to pray it away and have grace and have mercy. And then it would just rear its head when I didn't expect it. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to be equipped to understand, you know, have you had that enlightenment in your life? And when was it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously I think it's when listen, it's pain, change, growth. So it's how much pain are you willing to endure internal pain, strife, anxiety? Usually it comes in the form of anxiety, bad habits, you know, overeating all kinds of different things until you're just like, yeah, you're like, man, this is, and, and it's usually contradictive of the person that you want to be and truly who you are. So when you think about who you are, you go back to yourself as wherever it is that you were a child and most fulfilled. So maybe that's five years old, four years old. We can all go there. It's still in our brains. But yep. I think going back to, and maybe for some people it's 10, whatever it was where you at that fulfillment. And it's like, man, like if you can be at that place, that childlike place and be in that fulfillment of wonder and creativity and happiness and just like graceful and forgive really quickly. It's almost like your dog, right? Yeah. Just that you understand what that feels like because it was there, but it's been so long. And then the other thing that that was brought to me was like, you know, a lot of times, like I said, oh, you know, I was bullied for most of my life. And my therapist had said, oh, you were. I was like, yeah, man. And that's what we tell ourselves. Right. Right. And then she's like, so like, let's be honest, let's, let's peel the onion back. How long were you bullied for? I said, man, I think it started when I was about seven until I was about 15, you know, until I could fight back a bit. And she's like, okay, seven to 15. So about seven and a half years. She's like, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 40, 45 at the time. She's like, close to your life, you know? And and that's just Mm -hmm. one instance. So when you really start thinking about these things and these portions uh, of your life, and we start, and when you start telling yourself, most of my life, I was this most. So it creates these limiting beliefs of ourselves. And we all have these, these limiting beliefs, like, I'm I'm overweight because my metabolism's low and Mm -hmm. my DNA. And and no, you're like, no, you just don't, you eat too much. You don't move around enough, you know, like it's (laughs) like, and I know that I just lost 55 pounds and they're like, what would you do? And it's like, well, I ate less and I moved, moved more. And so it really started just being counter counter of who the person that I wanted to be. And I think that's painful. Anytime we start swimming against the grain instead of swimming with the grain. But that makes sense, right? It does make sense. You, Nick did, you know, I don't, you you brought this up, but you know, you went through a lot of therapy last year too. Did you do any EMDR? Okay. Have you ever done EMDR? No, no, so but I'm aware. It's going back to the childhood and then you can reprogram. Yep. So, you know, I had trauma when my mom let me know that, you know, my father, you know, took his own life when I was 12 and gave me the death certificate and all that. And I had a lot of trauma around that. Well, in EMDR last year, I was able to go back to pick up that little boy in that situation and say, hey, come with me. We're not going to. And it remaps your brain, left brain, right brain. Yep. You're holding on to two paddles that vibrate or you can, you know, tap, whatever it might be. But that's the equipping that like it, it just almost gave me a completeness, almost like a, hey, it's going to be OK, Sean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not totally fucked up. No. Like you're OK. Yeah. Like things are good. And I was like, I want the biggest thing that I took away was the red light, green light, and yellow light. Emotion, the motion states, or yeah, to recognize like, okay, so I walk in the door, the house is a disaster. Mm. Okay, I'm going from green light to yellow light. What's going on? Well, I'm having anxiety. Well, why are you having anxiety? Well, because the whole damn world's going to fall apart. You know, this, <laughs> you know, my house. I'm not providing for my. Okay, is that really the story that you're telling? You know, okay. And so before you even get to red light, you're like, you bring yourself back to green. 
And I didn't realize like how we like make these decisions because that was going back to a control thing. I don't want my environment to be taken away from me again. Yeah. Mm. I want things to be controlled. Like yeah. don't rearrange the furniture. Yeah. You no, know, that's yeah, hard. Weird stuff. Mm. Yeah. So does it still, where does it still sometimes show up in your life? Like, you know, whether we're workaholics, sometimes road rage, whatever, like what's the one area in your life you still want to do, do a lot of work on? Um, I think getting frustrated at stupid shit. You know what I mean? I think that's the area constantly. And, you know, yeah, just getting frust frustrated at stupid shit. We call it road rage or whatever, but it's like, man, like a mountain or molehill. And so I think just doing a better job of acknowledging that. So when I start getting frustrated and I think in areas of being defensive, you know, when I'm being defensive about something or judgmental, yeah. you know, if I'm being judgmental of someone else or a situation where that was probably just normal, I was judgmental, more wage, more judgmental than I ever on everything all the time, where truly I just was being judgmental of others because I was judging myself consistently. Ah, so yeah. catching myself when I'm being judgmental of others, catching myself when I'm getting irritated at things and putting those things in perspective, I think, I think those are both things that, that, that kind of catch me. What what was it? What was the enlightenment that you really, really, you know, sought out and you know found? Like, what's the what's the big one last year? Yeah. Uh, well, I met with a Taoist monk who changed my life. I mean, wow. so I was like born. My dad was a drug dealer who found Jesus. So that's where it started for me. Was third kid, you know, youngest boy, and so my dad was really protective because he never wanted us to do what he did. So that was like his goal was I don't want these boys to turn out like I did. So a lot of sheltering and protection, and grew up in like a very evangelical Christian home. And so, and through that upbringing, you kind of figure it out as you go. My dad was in ministry for a long time. So a lot of those old guard rules applied. Well, after I left ministry, I was in ministry for eight years. And after I left ministry and started going into entrepreneurship and marketing, I just started figuring out like there was this seven year period of like ditching the concept of God. I'm like, it didn't work for me. There's benefits, but I was reduced to the idea that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, or he was the biggest liar to ever exist. I believed it was the first one, and I said, that's all I know about faith. And I just like backed away from it. He's exactly who he said he was. I don't know anything else. Like, and when you're in it for your whole life, there's a lot of lessons learned and a lot of things to apply where when someone hears it later on in life and it hits them at a timely moment, for them, it's an aha moment. For me, it's like the lessons dad used to teach. Yeah. So it loses its, its application in a way because you've heard it so many times. Mm. So what was fascinating for me is after going through like a lot of challenges, life, business, relationships, whatever, I hit this point where I, I was at that breaking point. I'm like, I need help. I need to talk to somebody who's going to give me a, a really unique perspective. And so I found this dude on YouTube. <laughs> His name's David James Lees, and he's a Taoist monk. He spent 45 years as a psychologist and then became a monk. So really fascinating wow. guy. And when my wife and I were going through our most challenging season, business was like, you know, this is post-COVID, just everything is a disaster. I'm like, I need help. So I hit up this dude, and I'm like, I need to do a breakthrough session with this guy. So I booked two hours with him. And I often say it's a two-hour conversation that changed my life. Yeah. And what he taught me was, you know, I've been in personal development my, my whole life, like sleeping under a pew at three. So I've heard all the messages about spiritual and personal <laughs> growth forever. But what this guy gave me was a universal key that allowed me to frame everything that I was having, having in, a, in, a, in my personal experiences to really empower me, which he said, Nick, there's life events that are going to happen to you, just like for everybody else. There's life events. He said, the problem is, is you're allowing your emotions to be the next step, then your belief system comes after. So he's like, it's out of order. Because what happens? Well, this life event happens, whether that's a tragedy or someone cuts you off in traffic, whatever it might be. So immediately your emotions hit yeah. and your beliefs go unchecked. Yeah. He's like, think of it like the mincing machine, right? So he said, life events will happen. Your beliefs need to hit before your emotions. You've got to predetermine 
what your belief system is about something before then those life events translates, translate to emotion. And little did I know, you know, I met with this guy in February of what, 22? And um, I did 100 therapy sessions in a year, like just really went all out to figure out what the heck's going on and what can I do to be better. And then a year later, my kids were in a school shooting here in, in Nashville. So what's wild is just like the military, you rely on your training and not your standard stress response. And I practiced so many times situation. Where's my book? Where's my book? Where's my book? I wouldn't even allow myself to feel anything at first. I'm just like, give me my damn book. What are my beliefs? And I refer back to it. Okay. My first belief is this is happening for me, not to me. Okay, cool. Let me rest in that. Let me take a minute and pause in that. This is happening for me. Mm -hmm. Good. This is good. And what it does is it reduces the emotional pendulum. Mm. And so that one thing that I learned from this guy changed the way I responded to everything. And sure enough, when, you know, we went through the school shooting, I remember when my wife called me, I was on a zoom call with some dude in Canada and she's like, there's a shooting at the kid's school. And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Wait, what? And then she told me again and it was like the adrenaline hit and I literally lost my shoe down the hallway. When I was running down the hallway, I'm like pushing people out of the way, smashing the elevator button to get down there. I'm right across the street from the school is my office. And so I run outside and I'm out there. And I remember though, when I was in the elevator, my wife said, I just hope my babies are okay. And I'm like, I just want you to listen to me right now. Our kids are fine. Something just in that training of going back to my belief, my belief was that they were okay. The wild thing is the belief didn't change the circumstance. It mm -hmm. just changed me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I became the anchor. I became the lightning rod. I was the one who was able to stand steady in the storm. And that allowed her to then feel that safety and security. And sure enough, as I'm walking up the driveway towards the school, my son's walking down. And so I see him and I'm like, okay, good. Now an hour and a half goes by and I don't know where my daughter is still, but I'm holding on to that damn belief so hard. I know they're okay. And here's what I knew internally that I didn't say to my wife. If she's alive, I know she's good. If she's not, I know she's good. Cause I know who she's with. Right. Yeah. You know, I know my daughter's wow. heart. Yeah. Powerful. I had to hold that. But in any situation in life, I think that became the lens that I looked through and how I would view situations. Now, everything in life isn't perfect, but what I can say is I know how to rely on my belief systems. I'm teaching my kids that now. I never had that training. It was just, you know, pray it away. Like you were talking about yeah. sparkles, sprinkle some Jesus on there and you'll figure it out. Yep. And no, the human experience is, is far different than just reciting a parable or a scripture. It's, it's finding the, the tools and the resources that will help you get through. So now, you know, we're, I mean, my kids have overcome death. Like, what are they going to go do? Right. You know, the level of resilience that they have. So Amen. I, I'm so grateful. Two weeks before that shooting happened was when I stopped therapy. Yeah. All of that timeline of all of that training, God was preparing me. For that moment. For that thing. Yeah. Because that, that would have sent me off the ledge. I, would, I don't even know if I'd be here, honestly. It was, there's so much stuff that happened. And I'm, I, I was in the mode of, I can't take another thing to the point of, I can handle anything. I, there's a book that I uh, that I read. I've read a bunch of his now, uh, Robin Sharma, and uh, it's called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Yeah. And it's very, very in tune with what we do. High pressure people that work really hard, super crazy workaholics and, and just out of tune and out of shape and all of that. And then and it goes into all of the steps that he did for transformation. And then there was another book that he did after that, which is called Destiny. And it's mm. a, by the monk who sold his Ferrari. It, it's wow. it's so, they're both great mm. reads, both great stories. If I'm reading them, they're easy reads. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, do they have pictures in yeah, them? <laughs> dude, outside that, I mean, you, you know, outside that is pretty good. But you know, I agree. They've got some really great anchoring tools and yeah. thoughts in there that really help that. Yeah. Man. Um, regardless if that's your overall faith, it's like, man, there's some really, really great insight. Yeah. Is the way I look at it there, and I think God gives us the insight yeah. in totally. many different forms. Yeah. Man. As, 
that's inspiring. You said something a second ago. You said four, you know, when you was talking. And, you know, me and Nick have a really, really close relationship, and uh, we built it really fast because there was a night that somebody had invited me to go hear him speak, and I hadn't met him at that time, our buddy Jim. And uh, the day before, I had made a commitment in my mind that I wasn't going to go to Arizona. I had put the deposit down, and I was talking myself out of it. I was like, what are you going to tell people? This is crazy. What are you going to tell your employees? You're going to wait for seven days. Like, you're, I'm not going. And so I went to you know, uh, listen to him speak. And it's similar to when I met you, man. Like, I have these experiences when I first meet somebody. Like, my discernment just tells me, like, hey, I'm going to gravitate towards that person, or I'm not. That's one of my yeah. spiritual gifts. And I remember when you told the story of sitting on your, you know, you were sitting on, on the five-gallon bucket in the yeah. driveway, I believe, you yeah. know, watching your, you know, foreclosed, all that. And I was like, man, this guy's like the real deal. And Nick did the same thing when he started speaking. I went that night, and he was talking about his therapy. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't coincidental. <laughs> and then he talked about a concept that last year probably was one of the top, if not top two, three things that changed everything. And it was the perspective of... Life is happening for me, not against me. Right. And I'd never really thought about that. You know, I was never a victim. I would always be like, you know, sometimes a victim, sometimes, you know, conquer. But I never walked around as a victim all the time. But that concept of like, hey, when something bad happens, when some shit goes down, like this, you need to say this is happening for you, not to you. Right. right? And so I heard him. And that night I was like, I'm going to Arizona. Like, I'm going. And I'm so glad I did. You know, I'm so glad I met you because that I wouldn't have gone. It, and I would still pro probably be fighting those same battles. How that shows up in my life now, like, so I was in my garage uh, barn down back. And I got a Kubota and I'm kind of playing on it, you know, <laughs> you know, joystick. And the thing turns real quick and I'm bringing it in the barn to park it. Well, I just got my antique 86 Chevy truck back and it was like sitting there. I mean, I just got all the paint done, patina, motor, everything was done. I mean, literally days before. And I don't know what I did. I hit that right joystick, and that bucket just boom oh, right into man. the door. Oh, boy. And I mean, like butter just caved that whole door in. I turned the key off, mm. and I sat there, didn't get mad one single bit. And I said, all right, well, this is happening for me, not to me. What the hell's going on? And then immediately, it was almost like audibly, I heard God tell me, he's like, there's a reason I don't want you to get in that truck, because I was going to go for a Saturday drive. And right there, like, I know that sounds weird, but yeah. it, it gave me it so doesn't. much peace and so much confidence that, yeah. hey, you can do this. You're equipped. Yeah. Right? And I think if more people right now that are going through a lot in their life just said, all right, well, this is going down. You know, what's happening here? This is happening for me. There's a lesson in it. And look, for, and, it, and it forces you to look for that lesson. Yeah. Right? Why for me? Or how for me? You right. Know? And, and that's that's kind of where the, the peel in the end to find the magic in it. You know, yep. it's not always, you know, sometimes it seems like it's black magic, but at least it forces you to look for that. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't leave God's, God's miracles gone to waste. David would say to me a lot. Uh, so I'd present him with a challenge. So I'm like, I think I'm struggling with self-esteem. And he'd go, okay, I don't know what that means. I'm like, okay, this guy's almost 80 years old. He's been doing this for literally almost his whole life, 50 years. What do you mean you don't know what that means? He's like, no, I don't understand what that means. Like, you need to explain it to me. And what he's forcing me to do is to identify the application of it. And I'd say, okay, well, it's this thing. I'm creating a glass ceiling for myself because of whatever. And you go, okay, well, what's the benefit of that? And you're like, what is the benefit of the negative thing? <laughs> yeah, you know, forces you he forces, it. and what he does is he's taking out all the past story and the bullshit. He's taking out all the future and what it could mean and forcing you to be incredibly present. Uh, yeah. He's forcing you to give him an answer. What is the benefit? I go, there is no benefit. And you say, bullshit, you wouldn't do it. If you're willing to do it, 
there is a benefit. So what is the benefit? And he'd just make me sit there and figure it out. He just turned, he's, he's almost 80. Yeah, he's got to be. He just had a birthday. No, no, not Meltzer. Oh, sorry. David. Sorry, Meltzer. <laughs> no, <laughs> da- uh, David uh, uh, James Lee. Oh, okay. Yeah, the guy out in Wells. Yeah, yeah. Like, Damn, Meltzer's got, you know, no, no, hair no. looking good. Yeah, he's doing that whole, like, you know, reverse like... aging thing. You know? you met, do you know who Dave Meltzer is? I don't. He's, he's awesome. He's in your neck of the woods. I should introduce them. Yeah, yeah. you guys need to meet. Yeah. Um, he's in Costa Mesa, right? I think is where he lives. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's like 20 minutes from it. Yeah. Started a lot of companies, you know, lost a lot of money. He was, you know, one one of the fixtures of the Jerry Maguire uh, story. Oh, okay. He was a sports agency, yeah. right? He he ran Lee Steinberg's sports agency okay. in the eighties uh, and nineties or whatever the nineties two thousands. He's Jim. the biggest sports entertainment agent in the world. Okay, yeah, wow, he's he's awesome. Yeah, it sounded the name sounds familiar for sure. Yeah, me and JJ used to work with a girl that you know her dad was the Balco sports guy. Wow. Yeah. Alicia. Oh no, that's right. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. How long y'all go back? Infamous together. About yeah. twelve years now. Yeah, twelve years. Wow. Yep. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Y'all kind of grew I, up together in the in the biz. Well, I looked up to JJ because he grew did up. something big. He did a big change. A lot of the coaches have been great. They're successful and stuff. But JJ had a different story because he literally did a one eighty, and doing one eighties are just attractive to me. Like I've always wanted. Like that's why. Like I don't want to do anything the way other people are doing. That's right. Yeah, and I get that. I, I didn't have that as a child growing up. I've just developed that in the last like five to ten years, and it, I think it's because I started realizing change can bring really good things. Mm-hmm. And I used to not want anything to change. And when I met JJ, I was like, wow, he did a 180. And I was like, look at him. He's got tattoos and everything. If he can do it, I could do mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the reality, and, uh, too, we got to be careful of is like, you know, I, I do 180s all the time, right? And so the whole point is is to keep doing 180s to pivot and change, but make sure you're, you're not going 360 degrees back in the other direction that you mm-hmm. came. Oh, that's good. And, and 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 it's reality. I mean, it happens all yeah. the time, you know. And I think it gets into complacency or you know, my uh, coach that I work with, Ben Newman, is like the seduction oh, yeah. of success and things like that, because mm. it's easy to get in there, right? I mean, especially for massive failure to really start taking things into your own hands again and thinking that it's it's your genius instead of God's genius, and mm. and then you make a one eighty, and then you you do another one eighty, and end up back in the other direction. So it's it's I think it's it's not so much the degrees in which you turn as making sure you're heading in the right direction in which that you choose based off of the beliefs that you set. Yeah. Wow. And if you good. don't set those beliefs like you said, and you'll ignore those beliefs all day long, but they're there, five-year-old, oh, yeah. six-year-old, seven-year-old, however old that was, and you have to reset those beliefs because you got all these adults and all these people that told you those beliefs are bad, they're wrong, they're stupid, sit down, be quiet, don't act silly, right. whatever it was all those years, or you stop doing it because you feel insecure or you want to be part of a group or whatever that may be instead of just sticking to that mm-hmm. compass on those on those beliefs. Yeah, man. It's, it is not always fun. Yeah. Sixth grade Sean rears his ugly head all the time when I get on Amazon <laughs> or I go sneaker shopping. Yeah, I love it. Because in sixth grade, I just, that's when the pumps came out. Really. Yeah. Oh, oh I remember that. And we didn't have enough money for that, but the kid in front of me had them. And there were the white ones with the, with the orange, orange ball and the green on them. And I remember just like leaning over. I was like, hey, man, can I pump your shoe? And he turned around like in his loudest voice that he could just embarrass me. He's like, no, Sean, you cannot pump my shoe. Remember how embarrassed I was, as simple, as stupid as that was. So now later in life, I'm like, I can buy that. I can get those. I deserve it. I love it. Yeah. I I used to go pumping those shoes, whether they liked it or not. What are you doing? You know what I'm doing. I'm pumping (laughs) those shoes, buddy. So, you know, last year, mortgage industry, you know, JJ's had a really, really big business, had had been a great coach, 
brought recruited a ton of loan officers and helped improve their lives and their business coached hundreds of people over the last 10 12 years but last year was crazy wasn't it yeah. like i don't i don't know about your world but it was just like i sometimes felt like i was going all the way back to the beginning of my career again and like i didn't know what was next i you know what was last year like and then talk to us a little bit about like what you're working on right now man uh, last year was last year was a struggle like it was for everyone i think uh the year before that was the bigger struggle honestly because it was half the, the half year seemed like ish seemed like it was okay but we knew it was coming and then man once that hammer dropped it was tough you know i did have to make a lot of cuts affects a lot affected a lot of people's lives and um, you need to do that as a business owner to make those adjustments to make sure that the other people still are standing and have jobs. Mm -hmm. And I've had different mentors, people that followed that path and did it right, and people that didn't, and some were in between. Um, so I'd say I struggled the most in the business that year. Last year was, I think, the year of of responsibility and just being, I, I realized I was responsible of helping all these people's mindsets to be able to persevere through what could be, you know, who knows, really catastrophic for them and their families, because I'd already been there. And so that meant me dealing with more of my stuff to make sure that I was in the right frame of mind to be able to do that. So I really started digging deep into my mindset and diving deeper into therapy and diving deeper into those things, because, you know, being a, a fraud and a piece of crap and not not having the right mindset, then it wasn't just going to affect me. It was going to affect massive right. amounts of people. And I believe my, my purpose here is like just doing this, being able to help other people so they don't have to go through the same things, that they right. can make adjustments. They can be inspired. They can make, they can persevere through this stuff and, the, and they'll be okay. And so that was it. I mean, mindset, I'm talking like, man, I, my 5 a.m. So Robin Sharma has a book called 5 a.m. Club. Amazing book. Really? One of the best reads ever. And it just came down to doing my, dealing with my health, dealing with my mental health, um, reading. Like my wife was saying, like, man, you, you, you use bigger words now. I was like, <laughs> I do? That's <laughs> tremendous. I had no idea, right? Like, <laughs> like, yeah. But it's I'm reading now and, and becoming, uh, like, which is really weird because I always had this limiting belief that I had really bad reading comprehension and I just didn't like reading and all that BS where it's like, man, I love it. I love filling my brain. So it was leading people to fill their brains with positive things, leaning into my faith and, and leaning into all those other things to come out this other side and really, really proud of a lot of those things, of helping people make it through. Not everyone made it through. Obviously, that year before was probably right. the toughest. But as we start seeing some shifts in the industry now, I feel people are mentally equipped. And man, a lot of them survived when a lot of people didn't survive. Yeah. Um, so it was a, a transition year, I think, big. For me, what I'm working on big is my marriage right now. You know, uh, we have these unintended people that are part of that journey and, and, and they're just, they're just bystanders, you know, and a lot of times they're the ones that get hurt that we love the most because of all these things in the past and whatnot or actions that we take. So um, working on my marriage, working on my being a good father, right? I mean, like at the end of the day, my 18 year old, she goes down to the University of Alabama, you know, making sure that she can become an adult on her own and be a constructive, like really good person in society. And she's just, you know, but she's confused. She's 18. Like I was, yeah. we were all confused. And then just realizing, man, I got three more years left with my youngest daughter in the house, but really only one year left. She's 15. Once they're 16, man, they come home to eat, shower, and leave and sleep, you know, and they're out. So it's like, man, I got really one good solid year yet. 
uh, and then obviously they're going to transition out. So really making sure that I'm working on my marriage because it's her and I. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we were looking at our families. We both lost our fathers last year. We both, or maybe it was, yeah, just, yeah, last year, I think it was, or year before. We both lost our mothers. You know, we, we've experienced some, some grief and some loss. And it's like, man, how important that part is and the anchor and the foundation and just a world where it's super hard to be able to do that and not even encouraged to do that. And then just focusing on growing the business. You know, I think I'm focusing on the next chapter in my coaching and I'm really excited about the evolution of that because, you know, I, I really believe purpose and giving and helping others is I'm super clear on that as my purpose. And then just growing the business because uh, out of out of fun, you know, now yeah. now it's growing the business because for, for me, that's fun. Well, I'm super proud of you, and I just want to tell you as a friend the impact that you've had on my life, and I look up to you, and I think it's really cool, uh, you know, that you're entering into this next season, and I know it's going to be even bigger. It's going to be really, really cool to watch. Thanks, bro. I'm glad you got to meet my good buddy yeah. here. Yeah, dude, it was awesome amazing. getting to know you. I appreciate yeah. sharing too, man. And I really, really hope people just take away a part of this to see somebody that, you know, from the outside may look like you got it all together. You know, got a beautiful wife, beautiful family, you live in SoCal, you know, you've done it all. But to hear the story that, you know, you came from nothing, you built something, you lost it all, you built it again, you know, that anybody out there can do it. And uh, thank you for just being vulnerable and transparent, too. Yeah, thanks, brother. I appreciate you having me on here. Hopefully we can help one or two people. That's right. I'm Sean. Hey, I'm Nick. And thanks for tuning in to the Hope Dealer podcast. Take care.